0: 93. Now, before we read, just a summary of the Psalms. I've given you a couple of paragraphs there I give you every week to remind you of what the Psalms are about. Now, the Psalms are in actuality hymns, they are worship songs written to be used among the worship of uh, corporate gathering of Israel. And so you have 150 hymns here, 150 songs. Uh, But there is a theme that you find throughout the 150 chapters, and I think Dr. Easley hits it well when he writes, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. So the Psalms remind us that if you're on the mountaintop or if you're in the valley, God is worthy of our worship. Amen? We see it all the time in the Psalms. We see psalmists experiencing great victory, praising the Lord. We see psalmists, and their world has been turned upside down. And guess what? They're praising the Lord, too. Also, we learn from the Psalms that when you're on the mountaintop or if you're in the valley, God is worthy of your trust. You can trust Him. No matter what life brings your direction, you can trust God. So the Psalms remind us of those two important truths. I love what John Piper writes about the Psalms. He says, the 'The Psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. You know, God made us with emotions, right? And and the Psalms uh, are important because we resonate with the emotions we find in these verses. He goes on to say, poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just Thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. So, again, that's why we love the Psalms. We like the emotional connection that we feel with the Psalms. And you name an emotion, good emotion or bad emotion, you'll find it in the Psalms. I mean, it's all in here. But, but, but what you find is you find the Psalmists, no matter what they're going through, no matter what they're feeling, they're bringing those emotions to, to the feet of their God and, and worshiping Him in the midst of their lives. And so we love the Psalms and we made it to Psalm 93. Psalm 93. Now Psalm 93 and Psalms 95 through 99 are usually grouped together as kingly Psalms or songs that speak of the Lord reigning as king. They all have a a constant theme about the Lord reigning and so those are often grouped together. And so Psalm 93 is the first of that group. It emphasizes the sovereign rule of our God over all. And this psalm is only five verses. So we'll be through in about 10 minutes. And, and maybe not. All right, okay. Um, but, but there's a lot in these five verses. There really is a lot. So, so look there with me. We're going to read it together before we pray. Psalm 93, verse 1. The Bible says, The Lord reigns. That's a good place for an amen. amen. So I'm going to give you another chance, all right? I'm going to read it again, and, and you can amen if you believe he reigns, okay? The Lord reigns, amen. amen. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forever. More. That's good stuff, isn't it? Good stuff. Let's pray together. We're going to dig in. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We're grateful, Lord, for your word. You've spoken to us, and we're grateful for that. And Lord, what we have here in our Bibles is your word, truth with no mixture of error. And we're reminded from Hebrews 4 that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We believe in your word. Word. We trust in your Word. We stand on your Word. We are people of the book, and we say that without reservation. And now, Lord, as we study your Word, I pray that you would speak to us, that as we dig into these words, you would move in our hearts by your Spirit, that our eyes might be opened that we might see the truths of Scripture and be moved by the truths of Scripture. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. Thank you for being here tonight. Lord, I thank you for my church family. And I pray, Lord, that we would just fellowship tonight around your word as we celebrate your presence in this place. And God, I pray your hand would be upon every ministry that takes place uh, here on our campus, that you would just move with power and show your glory. And we'll thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. This psalm is only five verses, but it is packed. H.C. Leupold, a New Testament scholar, writes, This brief psalm is mighty in utterance, colorful in language, and a strong incentive to faith. So it's it's mighty in its words. It is gripping with the the colorful language that it uses to get your attention. And it gives you a, a strong incentive to trust God uh, no matter what life brings your direction. So, what I want to do is, I don't want to just walk you through this psalm. I'm going to give you the outline of it. And we're going to study this psalm under the three headings of this outline. The first part of this psalm that I want you to see is the exclamation. The exclamation. Now, you learned in school that um, sentences have different types of endings, right? You have. A period. And that's just kind of boring, right? That just means this the, the sentence is over. You're gonna start a new one. So period, no big deal, right? And you have the interrogative, the question mark. You 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 put it in of a sentence to denote that you're asking a question, you're seeking information, and you know the question marks are good. I'm glad we have those. Uh, but there's nothing like an exclamation point, right? To it makes the it's, it's to make the sentence kind of pop off the page is is to get your attention that that this sentence is to be said with some gusto exclamation point well this psalm is really five verses of exclamation it's like a big exclamation point and it starts that first phrase the Lord reigns. It's like, the Lord reigns, exclamation point. and And that's the exclamation that the psalmist is making, the Lord reigns. Now, we don't know exactly what situation he's dealing with here. We're going to talk some more about the, the troubles that they're facing in a few moments. But uh, the psalmist, and we don't know who the psalmist is who wrote this, but the psalmist here, thinking about his life, maybe the situation of the people of Israel, uh, exclaims, that the Lord reigns, He is seated on His throne, ruling and reigning the universe. Now, let me give you three thoughts about how He reigns. How how does God reign? How does He rule in the universe? Well, first of all, He reigns with majesty. He reigns with majesty. Look what it says there in verse 1. The Lord reigns, he is robed. Now, that's an anthropomorphism. God doesn't actually wear a robe, but is giving God some human characteristics. That's what the word anthropomorphism means, to help us to understand some things about God. And it says there, that God, like a robe, puts on majesty. In other words, majesty is who he is. It's just, it's just, it's just part of his nature and his attributes. If, if, you were to, if you were to look at God, you would see majesty. He, he wears it like a robe. And what does the word majesty means? The word, the Hebrew word there means height. Uh, in, in a negative context, it can be used of pride, someone that, that lifts themselves up. But in the context here, it's related to God's person and character and nature. It means that God is high. It means God is lifted up. It means there's no one like him. He's majestic. He's glorious. He's wonderful. He's beautiful. He's marvelous. It's almost like majesty's used to kind of sum up all the other wonderful things you could say about God. I mean, we could go around the room and just say some, some things about the Lord that we know to be true, and we could be here all night just, just exclaiming how good and how great God is. And, and the psalmist kind of sums it up. The Lord reigns, and he puts on majesty, majesty like a robe. Not only that, he reigns with strength. He reigns with strength. Look what it says there in verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. And here's another um, anthropomorphism, a metaphor. He has put on strength. Everyone say strength. He has put on strength as his belt. He wears strength. He is strength. He's not clamoring for strength. He's not trying to get stronger He is strength. He possesses strength. Strength is inherent to who he is. Uh, Theologians call this God's omnipotence. Uh, Omni means all. Uh, Potence means power. He is all powerful. He is uh, strong. He is mighty. There is none that can stay his hand. He, He reigns with strength. He's not a puny ruler. He's not a ruler that's unable to accomplish his agenda. He is, a, he is a ruler that wears strength like a belt. It's just who he is. And, and because he has all strength, what he, listen to this. What he wants to get done is going to get done. And, and nobody and no one can stop that. That's comforting, isn't it? Because of the third reality. Now only does he reign with majesty he, and, and reigns with strength. He reigns with holiness, Look what it says in verse 5. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house. Uh, holiness speaks of God's um, perfect character. It's like it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light in him. There's no darkness at all. Aren't you glad that there's no darkness in God? He's light. He's perfect. Uh, the word holiness means he's other than us. He's separate from us. He, he is perfect where we are imperfect. He is a holy God. Now here's the deal. There have been rulers through human history with great strength and resolve and leadership ability, but they were rotten to the core. Right? We we look back through history, they're dictators. Millions have died because of them. So they're they're strong rulers, but they're not good rulers. There have been others through history who... Who have good character and good intentions, but they're not strong, they're not resolved, they're not good leaders. They don't rally men to their cause, and and they have good intentions, but they can't get anything done because they lack strength. We've seen those kind of rulers in history too, right? Isn't it interesting that God is strong, he's able to do what he wants to do, and he's holy, which means what he wants to do is always good, It's always perfect. He's light. There's no darkness in him at all. So that's the kind of ruler God is. He has good character, nature. That's who he is. And he has strength to carry out his agenda. That's the point of this psalm. So the Lord reigns. He reigns with majesty. He reigns with strength. He reigns with holiness. Now, there's a prophet named Isaiah... That needed to be reminded of this first point because he was a preacher in Israel and Israel was going through a tough time. King Uzziah had ruled Israel for decades, a popular king, a powerful king, but he died. And you know in the ancient world and even today when a popular ruler or ruler who's been around for a long time dies, there's often tumult and chaos as, as someone tries to succeed that ruler. And it was a, a very scary time when a king died. You didn't know what was going to happen. Is there going to be a coup? Is, is his son going to be the next king? Is, can his son be a good king? And, and it was just very uncertain. And, and Isaiah, as the preacher of Israel, needed to be reminded that even in the uncertainty of the political situation, the Lord reigns. And he reigns with majesty and strength and holiness. And let me show you how the Lord shows him this. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. See, preachers are sneaky. Uh, This psalm just gives me an excuse to preach Isaiah 6, too. So, like, it's only five verses. You think we're out here pretty quick. But see, I've got you in know, a whole another book of the Bible, a whole another chapter. That's, listen, that's how preachers work, okay? Just so you know. Okay, now look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Look what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died. There it is. Unstable time. In the year that King Uzziah died, listen to what Isaiah says. I saw the Lord. God granted him this vision of himself. Look what it says. Sitting upon what? A throne. That's, that's God reigning, right? High and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now think about that. We got a royal wedding coming up. Uh, Saturday, is that right? Royal wedding? And I vaguely remember uh, Princess Diana, Prince Charles. Remember that wedding? And you remember, uh, if you saw that wedding... Uh, Princess Diana was walking down the aisle of that great cathedral. Remember the, the long train behind her dress? It just went on and on and on. Anybody remember that? No one remembers that? Okay. She, she had a long train on her dress. I think so. Maybe I'm remembering wrongly. Um, some of you are like, we don't care about the royal family. Move on. But anyway, uh, she had this long train on her dress. And, and the, the picture is of the Lord with a train so long and regal that it fills up the temple complex. That's how royal he is, right? Royal family's got nothing on him. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Above him stood the seraphim. These are angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, here it is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, his weight, his worth, his his greatness. That's what that word means, glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. He's a strong God. He's not a God to be trifled with, right? He's calling the shots. And Isaiah said, I said, woe is me. Now here's what's interesting about Isaiah. If you read the first five chapters, Isaiah is the prophet, and he says, Woe on this nation, and woe on this nation, and woe on this people, and woe on this people. When he gets a view and vision of the holy God of the universe, he says, woe is me. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. And look what he says. For I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So God uses this metaphor of a a coal which burns away impurity, uh, of saying, Listen, if you'll trust in me, Isaiah, even though you are unclean, I will make a way for your impurity to be forgiven, to be washed away, so you can be made perfect. It's a a metaphor of what God provided for for us through his son Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. He's, I'm going to take your guilt away. Yes, you're guilty. I'm holy. You're not. I'm going to take your guilt away. And, and when Isaiah sees God, experiences forgiveness, look what he says next. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? That's the triune God speaking there. Then I said, Here am I. Send me. When, listen to me. When someone has seen God, and they've experienced forgiveness by His gracious hand, a volunteer spirit follows. Lord, you need something? I'll go. Send me. You're good. You're great. You're holy. You're gracious. I want to be your ambassador. That's what we have here. So listen to me. If a Christian doesn't have a volunteer spirit... Maybe they need a fresh view of God. Amen? Maybe they need to remember how God has taken away their impurity and made them clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. And instead of thinking, "Well, somebody else will do the kingdom's work? They just say, hey, Lord, pick me, please. I want to do something. Get me in the game. I'm tired of being on the sidelines. You're awesome. You're, you reign with majesty and strength and holiness, and you've forgiven me greatly. Can I do something for you? That's all extra, all right? But I just had to say that because it's in Isaiah 6, right? So what's the point, Wade? Back in in the Psalms, the point is this. When Isaiah was living in a topsy-turvy time, he needed to be reminded that the Lord reigns. He reigns with majesty. He reigns with strength. He reigns with holiness. And when your life is topsy-turvy, and if it's not, just give it a little bit of time, amen? If your life is not topsy-turvy, if things, if it is topsy-turvy, if things are unsettled in your life, you need to remember, the Lord reigns. He's in control. Majesty, strength, holiness. Everybody got that? There's a second part of this psalm, Psalm 93. We see the exclamation Exclamation point. The Lord reigns, right? Then we see the explanation. The explanation. Uh, you might phrase it like this. Why does the Lord reign? What? Or let me say it like this. Why does God get to call the shots? Why does what he says go? I mean, why? Well, yeah, Why? Yeah, we're going to get to that, Sheriff. <laughs> Give me a second. All right. As rhetorical, it's an oratorical device to wet your appetite. He's answering my question, and he was absolutely right. So, so let's look here. What, what's the explanation? What, why does the Lord get to call the shots? Well, look what he says there uh, in verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as a belt. Here it is, and the sheriff just said this. The world is established. It shall never be moved. Who established the world? God did. He's the creator, right? He created everything. And just to remind you how awesome that is, just go back to Genesis 1, when we get a chance, and look where it says, let there be light, and boom, light. That's pretty amazing, right? Pretty amazing. And God creates everything with his word. He flings the universe into existence. He's the creator. So the, the universe is vast. It is It is huge we've never found the ends of the universe and god is over all of that think about that how vast god is the the psalms say that that god knows the names of all the stars and we know there are like septillion numbers of stars we've discovered already god knows them all by name he's a big god amen a big god he's the creator not only is he the creator he's eternal When it comes to your life, this is not God's first rodeo. He's been around for a while. In fact, he's always been around. Look what it says in verse 2. The world's established, yes, it shall never be moved. And just like the world's established, your throne is established from of old. And just to make sure we get the point, you are from everlasting that means God has no beginning point. There was never a time when God came into existence. He's always been there. So you go back to Adam and Eve, God was there. You go back before Adam and Eve, when the universe was created, God was there. You go back maybe a little bit before that, there's debate on when the, Satan and his angels fell from heaven. God was there. You go back before that, before the universe ever left into existence, God was there. You can't go back farther than God has existed because he's always existed, and he always will exist. Now, as my wife says often, that's when my head starts to hurt. When I, when I start thinking about that, my head starts to hurt. And I think it's pretty cool that our God is beyond our comprehension, beyond our finite Capacity for understanding. He's a big God, worthy of our worshiping, worthy of our praise. He is. He's everlasting God. He's always been around. He's always existed before the universe. Say, what was God doing? Well, Jesus says over in John seventeen that that He and the Father, and we know the Spirit of God too, the Triune God, existed in perfect communion with one another, perfect love relationship with one another from eternity past. Which means, by the way, God had everything he needed before he created anything. He didn't create us because he needs us. Acts 17 says the Lord needs nothing. We need him. Right? And so God is a a big God, a creator God, who's always been around. He's eternal. So here's how we sum all this up. You ready? Why does the Lord reign? Why does he get to call the shots? Here it is. The eternal creator calls the shots. That's just how it works. Like it or not. No matter your worldview, your world religion, your philosophical musings and understandings, doesn't matter. The eternal creator calls the shots. And, And there's nothing I can do to change that. There's nothing you can do to change that. You either submit, receive his grace, and worship him, or you go your own direction and experience his judgment. There's no other option, there's just not. He's the eternal creator. He calls the shots. Let me give you an illustration to help you to uh, get this. In uh, our nation, we have something called a patent. And a patent is the exclusive right granted by government to an inventor to manufacture, use, or sell an invention for a certain number of years the way they want it uh, to be manufactured, used, or sold. In other words, a patent says... You made it, you control it. what a patent is, right? You made it, you control it. If you made it, you have the right to determine how it's used. Well, that's just a small little picture of what Psalm 93 is saying. God, you made it, you control it. You call the shots, period. There's no other option. The Lord reigns. And so we see here the exclamation, the Lord reigns. We see the expl- explanation, the eternal creator calls the shots. And then third, I want you to see the implication. What does that mean for our lives? Okay, wait, it's one thing to talk about the Lord reigning and amen. He's majestic. He's worthy of our worship. What does that mean for day-to-day living? How does that affect our Thursday or our weekend or next week or next year, or how does that affect us? What are the implications of the Lord reigning? Well, implication number one, you ready? God reigns over the chaos. God reigns over the chaos. Look what he says in verse 3. And here's where the psalmist is trying to get to, I'm trying to get me and you to. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. It's almost like that, that repetition the floods, the floods, the floods mimics how water works. When water is rising, it just keeps coming, right? And you can't stop it. Water has terrible destructive potential, doesn't it? When it, when it gets beyond our control, to, to make it go where we want it to go, and it and it, it it just comes with more force and volume than we can manage. It just 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 keeps coming, and it's almost like the repetition. The floods, the floods, the floods. Now, why does he mention here floods? Well, again, it's a it's a metaphor. The ESV Study Bible says to an Israelite, the raging sea was the most vivid emblem of uncontrollable chaos. It's all throughout the scriptures; they use often the seas, the raging seas to picture chaos in our world, to picture uh, an unsettled life or situation. This section insists that the divine king is mightier than even that. And so he mentions the floods, the floods, the floods to say, hey, God reigns over the floods. Look what it says in verse 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is what? So... Life can be devastating. Life can be chaotic. Life can come like a flood. Life can leave us in a very unsettled place. But God is stronger. God's bigger. God reigns even over the chaos of our lives. That's good news, isn't it? So not only does the Lord reign, that's just not some, you know, religious talk, he reigns over the specific situations that you and I deal with. Those times when the floods come and we can't stop them, God, listen to me, God is in control. And no matter how devastating life is, God is stronger. Amen? That's the point that he's trying to make. Warren Wearsby says it like this. Do not focus on the threats around you. Focus on the throne above you. We don't know exactly what situation, historical situation, the psalmist is dealing with here. Some believe it's when Israel returned from Babylonian captivity. They came back to devastation. Their lands were devastated. The temple was devastated. The walls around Jerusalem were torn down. There was great poverty in the area. The fields had not been cultivated rightly. There were enemies all around and 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 some believe the psalmist looks at the the decimation of Israel and says, oh, the floods, the floods, the floods, but the Lord is stronger than the floods. He still reigns. That's, That's the point that the psalmist is making. And so here's the implication for your life. You ready? When chaos comes, and it will, don't get caught up Gazing at your circumstances. Look up at the throne above you. Remember that the Lord reigns. Remember that He is in control. Whatever you're going through, God's stronger. And if you're going through it, God's allowed it for a reason and a purpose. And somehow He's going to use it in your life. That's what God does. He's a good God. Amen? Amen. But just remember, He's reigning. He is in control. I heard one preacher say it like this. Everything that's over your head is under his feet. That's a good reminder, isn't it? The Bible says in Ephesians 2, speaking of Jesus, who died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, he's reigning at the right hand of God, it says that the earth is his footstool. Everything over your head is under his feet. you got to remember that. Now, it takes faith, doesn't it? It takes Christian maturity to remember that, to not get caught up in gazing at your circumstances. You may have to get in the, the Bible, you may have to open this up Psalm 93 and say, it doesn't feel like it, but Lord, you reign. And I believe it, I stand on it. There's another implication here. Not only does God reign over the chaos, but God rules righteously. He rules righteously. Look what it says there in verse 5. Your decrees are very trustworthy. The word decree here means what God desires to happen. So God decrees like a king decrees from the throne. I want this to happen. And because God is powerful and good, it always happens. Okay? God says in Psalm 115 verse 3, The Lord is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. Whatever he wants to do, he gets it done because he wears strength like a belt. Right? Whatever he wants to do, he does. He he decrees and it happens. He rules righteously. Now, to get this, do you need to remember what it says over in Psalm 119, verse 68. And just jot that verse down. I think it's there in your notes. Psalm 119, verse 68. I love this verse. It says, The Lord is good, and he does good. Everything God does is good. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says, or uh, calls this the reign of right. God reigns, He rules, and it's always right. He decrees, He rules righteously. Here's what that means. Now, this is where it gets personal. You ready? It means that God has never made a mistake. It means that God has never let you down. Now, I'm not saying that life has been easy at all. But I'm saying that God's never let you down. He always does the right thing. Always. Even using hardship in our life ultimately for our good. Romans eight twenty eight. God, because he rules righteously, think about it like this. God never says, oops. Think about that. He never has to say, oops, because he never messes up. He never does the wrong thing. He doesn't act and say, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. He always does the right thing. He never makes a mistake. He never lets us down. He never says, oops. And what does that call for uh, in our lives? It calls for trust, doesn't it? trust god i trust you i can't see it i don't know how this is going to turn out but i know that you rule righteously you rule righteously and here's the third thing And this is where it gets again just so reassuring and comforting god reigns over the chaos and god rules righteously and someone might say well yeah wade but life's hard in the meantime Well, God's ruling and reigning, and I'm trying to just make it through day-to-day life, and it's difficult. What about that? Does God care about me? Well, here's the third point. Ready? God reassures with his presence. So while he's ruling and reigning and decreeing, guess what? He's right there with you in the chaos. Isn't that cool? He's walking with you through it. Look what it says in verse 5. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house. He's speaking of the temple. He's speaking of the reality that God comes to dwell among his people, your house, your temple. So even as Israel was dealing with this great difficulty, they're decimated. He's saying, God, you're going to be with us. You're going to be with your people. You're going to be right there with us, helping us, encouraging us. And so God is reassuring them with his perfect presence. And can I remind you, if you are saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you never go through anything by yourself. You never, you never go through any raging seas alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you even into the end of the age. And so God rules righteously, God decrees rightly, he does good, he reigns over the chaos, he's in control, he's calling the shots. But from our limited, finite perspective, it can seem really hard, can it? And it can seem perplexing, and things don't always make sense, and it's hard, and it hurts. But guess what? God's with you in the midst of it. He walks with you through it. How did David say it? Even through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? You are with me. So so whenever you go to a valley, if you're his child, he's with you. Amen? And that's good news. My youngest son, Connor, he's three. He uh, sleeps in his room in his little bed, and uh, he insists that we keep the hallway light on. He doesn't like it totally dark. And uh, there's a good possibility right now in this stage of life that kind of the middle of the night we'll hear little footsteps coming down the hallway. And he'll climb into bed with, with me and Claire. Sometimes we'll wake up in the morning he's just there. We you not even know how he got there. He's just there. But here's what's interesting. Um, when he gets in our bed, he doesn't insist there be any light on. Him. He'll lay there in complete dark and not need a light. Why? Because he's laying right between mom and dad, right? We're with him. My dad's in town this week and, and uh, our, our guest bed's in the room where Connor sleeps. Connor has a little toddler bed and the guest bed's in there. I noticed this last night. Connor was in his little bed and dad was in the guest bed. Connor didn't call for the hallway light. Did he, dad? It was pitch black in there. Why? Grandbuddy was in the room with him. He didn't need He didn't need the light. And that's that's a picture of how God reassures us with his presence. When it's dark, when it's scary, when it's fearful, when it's uncertain. Hey, God's there. That matters, right? And sometimes we just need to pray, God, remind me that you're here. Remind me of your presence. Let me sense your presence. Feel your presence. Let me know that you are here. And so the exclamation is, the Lord is. The explanation is, well, he's the creator. He's eternal. He calls the shots. And the implication is, hey, he reigns over our chaos, and he walks through the chaos with us. And Isn't this a powerful psalm? Wow, five verses of just spiritual dynamite.